Welcome to Talking Payroll. My name is Tracy Angwin. In this conversation, I speak with Valerie Flight, Head of Payroll at Westpac. Now, if I had to categorise Val as to what type of payroll manager she is, I'd simply say that she loves a challenge. And the challenges that she seems to love the most are regional and national payroll transformation projects. With more diplomas and degrees than a protractor, Val started her payroll career in banking and is now head of one of the largest payrolls in Australia at Westpac. I've spoken at events many times with Valerie and she is always very generous with her knowledge and insights of what works for her. And this conversation is no different. I know that you're going to get a lot from this conversation where I'm talking payroll with Valerie Flight. So Val, we mainly know each other from speaking from stage together, but I'd certainly um, been a close follower of your career, especially in the last decade or so. It seems to me that you are the go-to person in payroll transformations in Australia, especially when it comes to regional or global business. I, I really want to talk to you about payroll transformations, but first I wondered if you could take me back to a time when and how you started in the payroll industry. Sure. So my time started in the payroll industry, like most people in Australia, I fell into payroll. Well, I wouldn't say I fell into <laughs> payroll, got pushed into payroll. Um, so I was actually working for the Reserve Bank of Australia and I was uh, tasked with, well, my first job at the RBA was actually tasked with entering the ABS surveys that we all us lovely uh, payroll people love to answer. Um, so that was my first task. And then I went into analysing uh, bank statements for all, all the banks that operated within Australia. And then there was a push because I was so good, I guess, with analysing numbers and working with numbers. Uh, they pushed me into payroll because there was an opening there. And that was really the start of my payroll career. Um, and I did my first upgrade actually with the RBA as well. So we were a full people's off shop um, and that allowed me to give get a bit of a grip, I guess, on how projects work of that scale. Um, so we had people's off for everything from payroll to super to finance and HR. So it was quite interesting. And uh, payroll sat within finance at that stage. So that was my first little stint it was also my first stint in actually supervising people as well so I was really lucky that within I think it was about nine to ten months back in might have been 1997 uh, I was given the opportunity to supervise um, people with disabilities so the RBA had a program of work where we had I guess trainees if you like that came in that had disabilities um, and they would do a rotation oh, they would wow. do, do rotating um, in different departments and payroll was one of those so it was quite a big eye-opener for me in some ways in terms of being able to manage people who may not have the same level of understanding I guess that other people did have within mm -hmm. the department. Um, so that was quite good because it gave me a real appreciation, I guess, of having empathy and, and being able to kind of deal with diversity. Uh, and mm -hmm. yeah, Great it was actually. And, you know, now that I reflect back on it, 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 it made me realise just how good that actually set me up because I was quite young um, and it gave me a really good good feel for it. Interestingly, interestingly enough, I was then poached by BNP Paribas to kind of go and head up their payroll. And that was really my first proper, I guess, implementation where I ran it from scratch. Uh, so we actually moved from PeopleSoft to Chris21 
back in 2004. So I came back from maternity leave just in particular to do that project. Um, and that really got me into the system. So we'd lost our system administrator um, and I absorbed his job at that point in time. Um, so not only did I run the payroll, but I also administered the whole HR payroll platform. Sure. Uh, Gosh, that sounds a bit familiar <laughs> for people. That... <laughs> and, you know, that gave me my first real, I guess, taste of dealing with, you know, uh, vendor and, and, and vendor teams, uh, mm-hmm. project teams, and just how the lack of, and sometimes it actually opened the, the, the realisation that some of the vendors don't actually know their products very well or don't know how to find mm-hmm. solutions for their clients. Uh, so I was really lucky. I, I, I'm one of those pe- people that doesn't like to give in too easily and ha- always have this in the back of my mind that things can be done. We just need to work out how they can be done and found a workaround mm-hmm. for KiwiSaver back in 2004 because Chris21, even though they oh, wow. provided you with a New Zealand platform, it was basically a copy of the Australian platform and all the field names were changed to be uh, more New Zealand related. And one of the things that they hadn't been able to get to work was their KiwiSaver, which was just coming in at that point in time in New Zealand. So, yeah, sure. so that really kind of, I guess, got me really interested in the system side of things. And then I was really fortunate mm-hmm. enough, well, I won't know if it's fortunate or I just bugged my manager at that point in time who was the head of HR so much about being bored. Uh, I was given the t- I was given the task of actually um, implementing and then managing the Taleo platform from a recruitment perspective mm-hmm. as well as obviously Chris21. And we had Chris21 fully automated. So, you know, back then I guess it was quite an eye-opener to have, you know, your overtime integrated through and your learning and development stuff and everything else like that. Sure. So, you know, for a fortnightly payroll that we ran in Australia and New Zealand, it was I had one and a half staff, with the one being me and half half being a part timer. And you know we'd run the fortnightly payroll in two and a half days back then. So, um, did my HR de- studies uh, while I was working full time and um, became a HR business partner slash payroll manager slash systems person at BMP. <laughs> Uh, just, just adding, adding more in, more. I, I get bored oh very goodness. easily, as you can yeah. tell. And, you know, for me, it's all about I like being challenged. I like learning. I like, you know, getting into the detail and, and really finding out how things work. And then I uh, went to Macquarie and that was really probably my real big step into, I guess, a much larger organisation. Um, mm-hmm. Initially just to head up their Australian payroll uh, and then took over uh, from my boss, who was the global head of payroll, a year later. So joined in July 2010, uh, right at the right in the midst of doing payment summaries, um, and then um, literally became global head around June 2000 and uh, May 2011. So just under a year later, um, had the opportunity to take that up, and then um, created the global payroll shared services function in Manila. So. That's quite extraordinary for like a, li- a little over a decade. It's um, you've done a I lot have. already. I have. <laughs> We're still only we up to are. 2011. And, and, you know, that kind of really opened, I guess, the transformation piece. Um, it was probably one mm-hmm. of the, the biggest highlights, I guess, in terms of really projecting my career in the payroll industry and really, I guess, building a name for myself. Um, it's not very mm-hmm. often you get an opportunity to build a team from scratch. So, you know, handpicking everyone. Yeah. And it was a bit large team. We were 40 of us in Manila and spent two years mm-hmm. there. This, this was is at Macquarie. Macquarie. Um, then, yeah. obviously, after my two-year stint in, in Manila, we, we're getting 
not itchy feet to come home, but we're really missing little things. It's surprising what little things you start missing when you don't have them. So simply things like, you know, jumping in your car and being able to drive somewhere on the weekends or just having a barbecue, you know, out in your backyard. It's all, you know, condo living and and things like that. Mm. So your family they moved did. to Manila with you? They did. So it was wow. uh, quite a... Well, the first six months, I'd say, were pretty stressful. Uh, our eldest son made a last-minute decision that he would come to Manila with us. He was 17 at the time. We'd given him the option to stay back in Australia and live with my parents and finish school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I did say to him, um, you know, don't come and blame me if you regret that decision, you know, five years down the track. Originally, he wasn't going to come. Um, <laughs> at the 11th hour, he made the decision he'd come and I won't lie, he probably made my, my life and my husband's life hell for six months was just you know saw all the negativities I guess at that and he had left a girlfriend behind in Australia we flew him home for his 18th birthday and uh, he came back a completely different person realized he'd kind of moved on his friends had moved on and was ready to kind of take it seriously found himself a job with an Australian company over in uh, Manila and uh, met his now wife so you know I keep reminding him that of that you know (laughs) had I not pushed him (laughs) they would never have met so you know um for us it's been a good thing from a personal perspective as well I guess as a professional perspective Mm -hmm. um while I was at Macquarie one of the ex-employees at Macquarie had kind of reached out and asked me what my intentions were I told her I was yeah ready to come home and that's where I then went to Lindley's to start their transformation piece, uh, which is an interesting journey. Um, but, you know, came in, they had just recently set up in 2013 their finance shared services. So moving all of the finance functions as well as payroll into, I guess, a global hub uh, or a regional hub. It was supposed to become a global hub. It's still a regional hub. Um, and mm-hmm. so... It, decided that that was it I'd go and work for them that was quite an interesting process and showed me how you know office politics can sometimes play a role in getting funding and so on so we had just done well Lendlease had just done at that point uh well we're rolling out Oracle Finance um and Mm -hmm. so my role was to localize all of the payrolls so we had payrolls being run out of South Australia Victoria Ride um, as well as Chatswood so we moved them all in we moved a New Zealand payroll across as well from um, Auckland into into Chatswood and and then created I guess our our payroll center if you like um, out of there Mm -hmm. the next step of that transformation was actually to move us all onto one platform as well as implement a TNA platform and then that's where we kind of hit a roadblock uh, in 2014-15 where there was just no funding um, due to the Oracle rollout for, mm. for R12. And then um, at that point, Credit Suisse came and tapped me on the shoulder to see if I was interested in doing a APAC role for them out of Singapore. And I spoke to my manager at the time and he couldn't give me an indication of how long it would take funding to be approved and how long it would take to get to a point where we could kind of transition to one platform. So I made the decision at that point that it was too good of an opportunity to pass up to, to go and work for Credit Suisse in Singapore and head up their APAC payroll. So go more back to a regional role, I guess, rather than just Australia, New Zealand. Mm. So moved my family again for a second stint overseas. Um, 
Did the oldest son go with you to Singapore? He did because it was close to his uh, girlfriend at the time who then became his fiance. So <laughs> it was a two, a two and a half hour, you know, Brilliant. trip instead of a, you know, nine hour trip by, by plane. So they could see exactly. each other a lot more easily. Plus she doesn't need a visa to go to Singapore. So he was, was like, yeah, yep, sure. I'm going to come across with you. So came in, did some work for the Australian, uh, Australian International School there. Um, where our youngest son was going. Um, and that, look, Credit Suisse was great. Um, when I joined, they were looking at doing a workday implementation, um, put it on hold, decided they'll stay with PeopleSoft at that point in time. Um, head office being in Switzerland, very heavily PeopleSoft. From a payroll perspective, fully mm. outsourced. Uh, so that was quite interesting going into a fully outsourced model, but with 12 vendors. So we commenced a, a transformation project with them to see if we could bring in one payroll vendor across all of the 12 APAC countries that we're in. And I think that's a really interesting project in itself. I know I've spoken to you at length about um, that. And you re really, you were, I know that you went back to land lease eventually, <laughs> but that, that period of time, those three years you're at Credit Suisse, I think um, I'd love to yeah, hear more absolutely. about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we did, it took us about a year to go through RFI, RFP. So we did a full RFI. We went out to every vendor that could mm -hmm. do APAC payrolls basically in a managed service kind of environment um, and did a full RFI. How many 12, countries are we 12 talking 12 countries. About? 12. Yeah, oh, so 12 that, countries sorry, yeah. all up. And uh, so we went out, did a full RFI. Uh, I won't lie, we had we invited 40 vendors to, to participate in the oh. RFI. Oh, my Yeah, it goodness. was actually not a bad exercise to do. It gave me a really good feel for how sales teams behave. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I kind of went in there going, well, we're doing the RFI ourselves anyway um, and we're looking at the responses ourselves anyway, so let's just go out mm -hmm. and cast a really wide net yeah, and sure. see who are the up-and-coming players in the market, right, rather than kind of, I guess, going for that yep. top quadrant kind of philosophy that a lot of organisations do. I went in with a very different one saying, well, let's see what's coming up in the emerging space, right, in that kind of starting mm -hmm. to, you know, I guess compete with some of those bigger players like your ADPs and your back then there was talent too mm -hmm. still in the, in the marketplace and stuff. Um, yep. So did that, swindled it down to five for RFP. Uh, one that we knocked out pretty quickly because once we got to the RFP stage, they actually admitted to the fact that they could only do six of our countries but had hoped to have the other six in place by the end of it. So, you know, it's really important to really kind of do that process, right, because, yeah. you know, we found out that, you know, some of them that said they had capabilities really didn't have capabilities. Um, so... I'm actually surprised you could find 40 vendors that would do anywhere close to yeah, 12 Yeah, well, you know, they all say it. You know, when it comes down to it, what yeah, we found sure. was that a lot of them do third-party, third-party, like, you know, they kind of then outsource themselves yes. to a, a local vendor. Yep. And you just got to be really careful. So one mm -hmm. of the things that we learned pretty quickly on was that in certain countries that's actually an illegal requirement, uh, like arrangement. Um, so, for example, in Japan, right. you've got to be really careful about having those sorts of arrangements in place. So, um, yeah, which is why Japan is really, you know, oftentimes you'll see these projects and it's APAC correct, excluding correct. So, Japan, Japan doesn't allow yeah. you to outsource your, well, it allows you to do one outsourcing arrangement as long as it's uh, directly with you. 
if you're going through another provider who's then outsourcing, that's actually illegal. So that's where it becomes really tricky because wow. a lot of a lot of mm. vendors say they do Japan, but they actually use a local provider that they have a contract with, mm. and that's where it then becomes a little bit messy from a legal perspective. So um, yeah. that's hence why it do, kind of dwindled it down to kind of the last four that we actually went into RFP with. And through the RFP process, we actually made them run a Japan payroll, including all the statutory um statutory <laughs> reporting um because it, it was one of the more complex countries that we dealt with and it was one of the ones that we had sure you know that typically if you're not in country it's really hard to do so to really test their local knowledge mm-hmm. um and to be honest um at the time we actually signed a contract with Niamo they came out on top um mm-hmm. You know, yep. one, because what they did was they actually brought in their operational people that actually do the payrolls into the RFP process rather than their sales team mm-hmm. and really seemed yep. to understand the requirements that we needed in each of the countries. So we're really able to kind of really answer those questions and always had operational people in those discussion points to answer the questions. And I think that's that's so important when you get to this this pointy end. And, and also, and it's not to say that the salespeople... You know, don't necessarily know what they're doing. Um, it's just that they're not the ones who have to take this project Correct. on and implement Correct. it. Correct. And that's why it was so important for me that the operational teams of all the vendors that we invited to RFP were actually in the room to talk through the questions that we had and things like that to really see if they, one, encountered those issues previously. Um, two, you know, mm-hmm. every company has its own nuances, I guess, and, and complexity. So to understand the level of complexity they had dealt with previously with other clients but also to be able to really kind of delve into I guess more of the kind of operating rhythms that they follow and that's really hard to get with your salespeople, right because they don't know what their operating team sure. operational teams do half the time you know like yeah, from their day-to-day their stuff exactly exactly and I wouldn't expect them to but for me it was really important to be able to know what I was facing into as a client right so mm-hmm. uh so that was part of my role and then I was given well I was asked to take on the APAC benefits piece as well I always thought payroll was mm-hmm. hard <laughs> benefits is way harder uh, very emotional you know when you're dealing with you know things like health insurance and stuff like that so you know sure. Asian countries mm-hmm. typically you have health insurance and the company pays for it so it's very emotive it typically deals with people's family members and things like that complete eye-opener but also gave me a really good appreciation for how nice payroll is <laughs> um, yeah, right. again I've got an opportunity to do a, a vendor change so we were looking for a new um, employee uh, assistance program mm-hmm. and again looking to mm-hmm. merge multiple vendors into one um, across those 12 mm-hmm. countries um, yeah, so by this point, have, is Niamo is Niamo live on no. twelve in twelve countries, or is no, that just an ongoing? No, it was an ongoing. It was, was ongoing. An, um, yep. And the last time I checked in with the team, they'd actually put it on hold. Um, so right, they were putting okay. it on hold. One was because the CEO had changed. Two because they were finding that they were having integration issues between PeopleSoft and, and Niamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they've now put it on hold because they're looking at more from a global strategic viewpoint. Right. So right, quite okay. an interesting one. Credit Suisse is quite interesting in itself. You know, yeah, you've got your head office in Switzerland, though you've got regional offices. There's always a pullback to head office. Mm-hmm. So, um, and quite complex being in, um, what's it called? 
an international um, bank. So, well, I think, and it, I think, and I mean, you've you've worked for a lot of them, but I think that that's part of the. Um, the, the fascinating thing about your career path is that you have gone from sort of global business to global business and and, and at each step um, have done something with either a transformation or a technology, um, you know, project. And I think, um, I can't think of anyone who's done that more. I'm hoping that um, your phone's not going to ring off the top of <laughs> and things after this. It's quite unique. Um, so hello to all the good good colleagues of yours at Westpac. Um, so yeah, oh, sorry, I, no, so, okay. sorry I, so that's Credit Suisse. And then, yeah, and then uh, Len Lease came in and tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I'd come back and deliver what I'd started. So that's a unique opportunity that you don't see very often. And to be honest, it was a big draw card. It's not very often that you'll start a project, leave, and then be asked to come back and execute. Um, mm. So that was quite interesting because the platforms had already been decided when I rejoined Lendlease. Um, so the mm-hmm. d- decision had already been made that we were going to implement uh, Ramco Payroll and uh, Kronos. Mm-hmm. So that was quite interesting because I didn't have a say in the platforms as such. Having said that, you know, my philosophy around platforms, and I get asked all the time, is, you know, what's the best payroll platform out there? And my answer is always the same. It all comes down to how you've implemented your platform, right? So for me, yeah, it's not so much the actual platform itself. It's how you've implemented it, how you're using it, and the relationship that you have with your vendor or your provider, right? So they're my three key things. Um, So for me, it was really important to really build build a solid um, relationship with Ramco um, Mm -hmm. and Presence of IT, who then became Deloitte, um, who was implementing Kronos for us. So it was really important to Mm -hmm. build strong relationships with those guys because for me, it was all around making sure we're always aligned, we're always on the same page, that there was full transparency. So I actually sat Ramco down um, before the project had even started. We're still signing contracts at that point. And, you know, I just said to him, if this project's going to work, I need full transparency, right? I'm okay. You tell me if something's not going to work, we'll find a solution. We'll find a workaround. But I need you to be honest instead of just saying, yes, 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 we can do. And then it gets to the tail end and we all of a sudden find out it can't be done. Um, and then we're going back. And look, I think if any, if all projects had that transparency, we wouldn't see the failure correct, of projects. Correct, correct. And see. I think there's nothing wrong. Like I tried to make people as comfortable no. as possible that it's okay. I'm okay with you telling me that you can't do something or you're not sure that you can do something. And I'm quite happy to sit Absolutely. with you and brainstorm what potential solutions we can find, right? I, I kind of go, it's a partnership mm-hmm. thing, right? And I think also this is typically where I see some organisations don't do so well or you know some of my equivalents don't do so well because they're very hands-off and kind of go oh that's the project team's responsibility um whereas I take a very different lens to it so I remember you know being asked how many project resources I needed and so on and I literally kind of said look all I need is a a BA a strong payroll BA somebody who's done payroll operationally was really important to me Um, and then it was a matter of actually taking people from my current operational team and putting them on the project right so rather than finding people outside to come and do the project that didn't understand the lend lease ways you know what we're doing how we ran things all of the pain points we currently have all of the data issues that we'd faced and things like that so it was really important for me to take a very different approach to what was originally thought um Mm -hmm. 
And I think if, honestly, if listeners take one thing from this conversation, it's that, that you specifically said you need a BA with operational payroll expertise. I mean, that is, honestly, I would wish that just made, warmed my heart, that did, because the amount of struggling projects that I see that are trying to be delivered by people who have never actually been in a pay office, and it's very, very difficult for anyone to do that because payroll is so incredibly yeah, unique. So, and um, I think that's also, great to know that. And that I think also one of, one of the things that I had to make really clear to our project team, and I remember meeting meeting with our integrations lead, and he was just like, well, seriously, when I first looked at the plan, it was just like, are you kidding me? I think they had six to eight weeks for UAT testing. And I'm like, what are you testing in six to eight weeks in payroll? And they're like, it's a system implementation. I'm like, no, it's not just system. It's operational implementation, right? I think mm, the problem is yeah. that people just see it from a platform, pure, purely from a platform system perspective. Yeah. They're not looking at it. Is it calculating the Correct. tax right? They're not looking at it from an <laughs> operational perspective in terms of, well, how does this actually fit in and how does it work within the more holistic landscape, right, of mm-hmm. your employee life cycle? And what are all the other bits and pieces that need to work? And how does the team actually use the platform in an everyday um, scenario, right? So quite interesting because our UAT ended up going for seven to eight, close to seven months all up. Um, We did Mm -hmm. multiple cycles. We had so many, so many um, test cases, which still surprises people. So we had over three and a half, nearly 4,000 test cases. Wow. But I mean, people also don't really have an appreciation, I don't think, of how complicated Lendlease is as an organisation. Correct. We're actually, you know, multiple businesses in one. So that always doesn't help. Multiple Multiple industries. industries. (laughs) Uh, So we we cover multiple industries. Absolutely. And then also um, part of it is also the complexities around having, you know, your HR system that's very different to your payroll platforms or your integrations Mm -hmm. and how they fit in. also, you know, working with different teams that don't always have an appreciation for how hard it is, right? And and also making sure mm. that people are actually test, they understand what they're testing. So it was quite an interesting journey because we did have testers that came in to do the workday side of things uh, from Deloitte and, you know, they came in testing and going, well, the record's saved. And I'm like, that doesn't mean that that test case is actually passed. It doesn't pass until it's gone through payroll and we've actually paid the person and the person's mm. been paid correctly, right? right? So I'm like, you can't pass a test it's case. Right. I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not testing Workday and Workday functionality. What I'm testing is that it's integrated <laughs> properly and we're paying people properly. Um, so kind of had to take them on a bit of a journey, I guess, because it was a very different landscape mm. to what they'd been used to from a testing perspective perspective and also not allowing people to just go it's okay we'll you know it's we'll fix it so for us we kind of went through quite diligently and retesting retesting and yes we got to a certain point where we couldn't work out whether we actually had a config issue or whether we actually had a data issue and we made the decision to then go into a parallel run pretty confident that most of it was just because we'd Mm -hmm. reused data so often that it became a bit murky but the underlying sure. platform was solid enough to go into a parallel run. And and it did. It proved that we were just having data issues within our UAT environment, mm-hmm. you know, when you're rehashing Which is employee not unusual, IDs exactly. and stuff Seven like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, And we did quite a few refreshes as well. So the other thing we did, which kind of helped, is we did multiple cuts of data so we could do data cleansing at the same time in our production environments. Mm-hmm. And that really helped us to get to a really clean point ready for, for go live. And now, interestingly enough, we went live 
on the weekend that we went into full shutdown first time for COVID. <laughs> so oh, we made a decision to still go ahead. So we debated on whether it was the right thing or whether we should actually hold off. And we'd invested so much time. And the reality is to put it on yeah. hold meant that we would have to retest once we felt it was exactly, right. The, and look, in exactly. hindsight, best decision we made because look, we're still in COVID now, right? So it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be <laughs> yes, a quick, right. you know, ah. Oh, it's a couple of weeks and we should be all fine. In the end, it was probably the right decision to make. Um, yeah, absolutely. You'd, you'd be a year later trying to still keep exactly, that Exactly, exactly. And it's a lot of work, right? It, it's a lot of work and a lot mm. of investment had gone in and we were really at the tail end, right? So we'd gone through our pal- parallel runs. We're doing just the migration ready for cutover and it was just like, let's just do it. I'm happy to do it, happy to take that on board. Um, and then obviously we outsourced we went into a hybrid model with payrolls. So that was quite interesting. So we went live with mm-hmm. Ramco and um, then outsourced the data entry side of things to Wipro, which was part of a bigger project that was being done at Lenways mm-hmm. to outsource uh, all of the operational work uh, to Wipro as an outsourcing arrangement globally. Um, and, you know, that was quite uh, well, I wouldn't say it was a challenge. It was nice to be able to, again, have a say with Wipro. So I interviewed everyone that Wipro hired. We did take a big chance. Wipro admitted to the fact that they'd never done Australian payroll. So we invested heavily in training. Um, so the team mm-hmm. came out here to Australia uh, just before lockdown. So from January and they left just before lockdown, which was lucky. Um, did intense <laughs> Australian training, including legislative training that PwC helped deliver in Chennai. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we took a very different approach, I guess, to some of the other payrolls that had already migrated from around the world to to Wipro. We took a very different approach that we expected Wipro to do all the data entry, to check the audit reports from Workday and do their first, I guess, quality assurance check to make sure that they'd done everything correctly. And then it would come back to the retained team in Sydney. So we still had a retained team in Sydney who would then do the final checks. Yeah, sure. Um, again, they would run, Wipro would run the payrolls, but we would do the final checking, would do the final releases, the approvals, banking, STP files and all the rest of it. So took a very different approach mm-hmm. rather than outsourcing the whole thing. Uh, decided that we'd keep all the more, and I guess, the high risk activities, would keep them in Australia instead of sure. actually giving them to Wipro to do offshore. And I mean, really interesting to compare that to your Niamo experience. Yes, 100%. And, you know, the, and the yeah, different 100%. models. And look, each model has its benefits. I think the biggest thing is going in, mm-hmm. understanding that you can outsource the work, but you can't outsource your responsibility. So how much of a risk do you want to take, right? Yeah, because it doesn't matter how good of a relationship yeah. you build with your vendors, you still don't have overall control of what they do on a day-to-day basis, right? So, you know. They're still reporting into local managers and, you know, you still don't, you're not on the ground to be able to hear the side conversations that are being had and, and things like that. So, you know, there is a level of risk that you take. Yeah, it's right. It's what level of risk that of you course, want to and take the tax office and Yeah, exactly. And the tax office and fair work aren't going after you. Correct, correct. They're still coming after you. Exactly. And that's one of the important pieces, right, because I think a lot of organisations at, you know, I wouldn't say so much now, but originally when outsourcing was, high on a lot of company agendas right a lot of it was based on well we'll just outsource the whole lot and that means we don't have to worry about it anymore which is just such a wrong attitude to have and absolutely not the right thing right so for me it's all around 
yep, absolutely, it can work. It's, you just need to make sure you've got the right model for your organisation and each organisation will be different and what your appetite risk is. Yeah, absolutely. I was only speaking to someone um, a couple of hours ago about outsourcing and all the, you know, all the reasons that there are for outsourcing and I actually said to them, it actually doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's plenty of potentially good reasons for outsourcing but there's one really good e- reason not to outsource and that's the one I hear a lot which is my payroll's an absolute shambles so to fix it I'm just going to outsource a lot and the problem is is that's like being a bad singer and put giving a bad singer a microphone the pain just gets worse it gets amplified um, so if you're going to outsource in any sort of model um, really important to make sure that the fundamentals are already sound and they're not just trying to outsource exactly. the problem because that always just amplifies exactly. the problem. It's super important. It actually has, your, your payroll has to actually be super clean before you can outsource it. And that means yeah. everything from, you know, totally where your master, totally where your master to... data sits and everything else like that because, yep. you know, that's one of the areas where it, it becomes unstuck, right? It's you only know what you know. And look, I've done global payroll. You know, I think at Macquarie we had around 48 countries. Credit Suisse was 12 in, in APAC, right? It is super hard to understand the legalities, the regulations, the legislation in country when you're not actually physically located in that country, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, for, for us, you kind of go, well, you know, if the ATO declares a new tax, it's out in the newspapers, you hear about it. So you might not be a payroll person, but you're aware of how what it is, right? Um, you know, sure. we're very lucky in Australia. Um, I won't lie. Uh, we've got so much information at our fingertips, you know, in terms of the ATO, Fair Work, you know, all of that. OSR, very easy, written in as much plain English as possible. In some locations that I've been dealing, you know, that I've dealt with in the past, it's all in local language, right? So, you know, you don't have an Australian translation then you've got to get somebody Mm. to translate it for you or you've got to engage with your pwcs your kpmg deloitte eys to get that you know to get to get an understanding of what the requirements are Mm. so you know it's super hard so you know again with an outsource vendor they're only going to know what they know and everybody interprets things differently right so even with you know vendors like ramco and things like that where they have some offshore people that that deal with it sometimes what it is is there's a different interpretation of how the rule applies. Sure. I mean, we, we struggle with the debates Correct. in Australia, let alone. Correct. You know, I could have someone just down the road, a payroll specialist up the road from me having this conversation. Yeah. We still might uh, disagree yeah. on the interpretation. Yeah. And so that, that's where it's become so really interesting. critical, right? Because they kind of go, well, you know, you're laying all that responsibility onto an outsource provider and you're expecting them to get it 100% correct. If you've struggled to get it 100% correct in country, yeah, that's it's a, a tough, tough ask, right? Potentially. So, I mean, I didn't mean this to be all about your CV, um, but seeing, seeing, we're right down, seeing we're right down the end um, of it, tell me a little bit about yeah, your role so at Westpac. With Westpac, I've come in as the head of payroll, a uh, fantastic team, um, very small team actually for the number of employees we've got. Um, but again, to take mm-hmm. them through a bit of a journey. So it's really to kind of develop a, a governance. Uh, so we've got a full governance mm-hmm. team that we've embedded um, and really looking at it from a transformation perspective as well. So, you know, eventually there'll be a system transformation that will get done because um, at the moment we're a full Oracle shop. Um, 
mm-hmm. and you know it's no it's it's uh, not a hidden thing that Oracle have not, you know made it quite clear that they're not looking to put payroll on cloud so you know sure. um, eventually we'll need to look at you know some other payroll platform um, but really to mm-hmm. kind of really spend time with their operational team and I guess bringing in best practice of where my experience has been. Yeah, amazing. What an amazing opportunity that is to, um, and for both of you, for both yourself and, and the Westpac organisation to get yeah, that expertise. Yeah, and for me, you know, one of the challenges and one of the reasons I've stayed in payroll for so long, so, you know, I might give a snippet of information on my private life, but, you know, I've trained, you know, I've done, I've done, I've trained in nutrition because it's one of my things. I like health and wellbeing and I've actually got my wellness coaching uh, qualifications as well and you know I always dreamed that that's where I'd go but I've always stayed in payroll and I and there's a couple of reasons for it one is it there's always a challenge right there's always a challenge to face yeah sure um I love mentoring and teaching people right so that's something that I really do enjoy is watching people develop their their payroll skills mm-hmm. and become really good practitioners but I've also really enjoyed kind of I guess trying to highlight the importance of payroll in organisations, right, and get us to be seen as an equal partner. Um, And that's been Mm -hmm. quite critical in the last 10 years. And it really kind of started, to be honest, in fairness at Macquarie. At BMP, we didn't really face the same issues and maybe because we're a much smaller HR team and, you know, I'd been there quite a long time. So I'd built quite long, you know, strong personal relationships with most of the bank. Um, mm-hmm. Macquarie is where it really kind of started. So when I joined, payroll had a pretty bad reputation, you know, of being unhelpful and always saying no and, you know, why can't they just mm-hmm. say yes? And, you know, there was very valid reasons why my team was saying no because you can't do it, you know, and, and there's legal re- there's legislation <laughs> that stops you from doing it. But it was the way that they went about it in terms of, you know, yeah, the, sure, delivery the delivery and, and spending time and getting people to understand. And, and that's where I really kind of started doing payroll statistics, right, in terms of what was causing overpayments, mm-hmm. what was causing, you know, what we're seeing come through the payroll data, you know, number of payrolls, so transactions, so you know, just the basic stuff. Well, yeah. basic stuff. But to try mm-hmm. and give people an appreciation for just how hard payroll is, right, and when you're exactly. paying. Yeah, and root cause as well. It's like it's all really oh, so easy 100%, to point the finger 100%. at the payroll team. Took the same thing into Lendlease uh, when I was there the first time round and then um, did the same thing at Credit Suisse because, you know, when I when I joined Credit Suisse, I got told that my payroll team were actually quite bad. The reality was the complete opposite. They were probably one of the better teams that I've inherited. And, not, um, wow. and it was just the same kind of thing. It was just easy to point the finger at payroll because we're at the bottom of the chain and you know once mm-hmm. you looked at the data and once you worked backwards you'd find that it was things like people leaders not having you know people managers not having done their workflows on time and you know how do I know if Joe blogs that sits over in China has resigned if you don't tell me that they've resigned right so you know <laughs> it, it right. kind of brought about some real I guess changes, one, changes to behaviour, two, stop the finger pointing. I just find finger pointing such a waste of time, right? Like, and mm, I kind of go put the energy towards finding solutions, right, um, and, and ways to make it work. And just by highlighting that and working with all the different HR business partners made a huge difference in terms of bringing those volumes down. And I find mm, sometimes it's just yeah. all it is is just bringing transparency, right? If you bring transparency to payroll people, then get a bit of a realisation of just how hard it is and how much we're balancing and, you know, that. 
and also the volumes. People, I don't think, realise that not just the volumes of transactions, but the volumes of decisions that have to be made in a pay office. And I think just sharing that data, I encourage uh, payroll professionals to share all the data that you've talked about um, just so their colleagues do get some sort of un- understanding exactly of exactly and then it's also getting the payroll team to realize that there's more than just churning through data or like you know running payrolls oh, exactly. and I think I've seen a big shift in the industry to be honest from going from very traditional payroll operations to now being more very much a strategic partner in a lot of places, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say in all places, but very much in a lot of places, getting more of a strategic lens on payroll. Also, I think the governance piece, I think all of the, you know, scrutiny with their work and, and all the rest of it has helped yep. the industry, to be honest, um, in terms of bringing payroll to the forefront instead of being in the back end of, of a lot of organisations. Yeah, I think... I agree. I think it's done a lot for the Yeah, it has. And look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I kind of go, I've never met, well, definitely not from my experience, I've never met anyone that works in payroll that doesn't try to pay people correctly, right? So I think that's, that's right. you know, for me, it's kind of like we try our hardest and we're only as good as the data we get. And sometimes that's the hard fact that you have to face into when you, your data is not as, not as perfect as it can be. And, you know, we've seen, I've seen a big shift in that, in that and that's kind of with your work days and, you know, your workflows and putting people leaders at the forefront of being responsible for their people data means that you also lose a bit of mm-hmm. control over what's entered in right so then it becomes very system based that you have to have really strong verification rules built in validation rules built in to your to your platforms right to make sure that the data that's being entered by people in the business is actually correct when it flows through and impacts payroll so I've seen quite a big shift I think for me the excitement piece is the governance piece right I think there's a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that we can really make inroads I guess yeah, I think so too. for me, my dream is that payroll becomes one of those one of those things that you talk about at, in high schools, right, as a career rather than just as a byproduct of auditing, you know, of accounting or, oh, <laughs> or finance, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Isn't it just isn't it bookkeeping? Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you said that because I joke about how I'm yet to meet anyone after I think whatever it is, 28 years in the payroll industry. I'm yet to meet anyone who actively chose payroll sort of almost from school um and I still haven't although I do believe there might be someone in your household that might be uh actively hopefully choosing payroll as a career but I'm just hoping that more people um will talk about payroll as you say having payroll in the news is not necessarily a bad thing um it obviously, you know, the, the media love to, you know, run those stories, you know, large employer rips off um, employees because clearly they sell newspapers. But the reality is, is no one's trying, with very few exceptions, no one's trying to do it wrong. Um, and it is a really valuable, um, you know, it's, it's a valuable piece of work for organisations. And we certainly know what can, it can go wrong spectacularly when it does go wrong. Um and I think you know, just listening to you talk through your career, you know, it's it's a really exciting place oh, to be. I think. And if I, you know, when I think back, when I first fell into payroll at the RBA, um, you know, I would never have dreamed that I would get my career to where it is today, right? And and that I would have built yes, up maybe. such a, you know, 
a, I guess, portfolio of work that I'm really proud of, right? For, for mm-hmm. me, it's always been one of those things. Um, it's always been a challenge. There's always something new to learn. And it's one of the good things about being in peril is that legislation's always changing, right? There's always something new mm-hmm. to keep abreast of and to understand and how it impacts the organisation that you're working in at that point in time. And that's what I really love about it, right, is that, you know, there's always opportunities to learn more. But also I feel like the the way that payroll's going, there's there's more and more opportunities to do different types of roles within the payroll space, right, rather than just your traditional data entry processing kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And and I think that's, I mean, look, that's a really great place I think to to sort of wind up I know that you're super busy so <laughs> um we but I could talk to you all day about uh payroll and your payroll career and your your views on 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 things um but I agree I think it is an area that is only going to get more interesting because with automation you know we're going to automate the low uh, value tasks and it leaves the really high value tasks um you know to be really strategically thought out by clever individuals and um you know, I, I hope that that is the future. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% like you, right? It's that I feel like that's the way it's going. You know, I think it's going to take us still a little bit more time to get to that fully. And some organisations will get there much faster than others because they're open to it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also people in the payroll industry, right, is wanting to, having the drive to make that change. And I'm seeing more and more of that, um, you know. I think the comp- yeah, I think the confidence. There's a real confidence, I think, with, um, yeah, I, I agree. And, I, look, I know that you've got a, a big role and a big challenge at Westpac and you're less than a year into it. So um, I have no doubt that you'll, uh, again, transform the, the Westpac payroll operation. And I'm really interested to hear how that goes. And, as I say, I know that you're super busy and um, have got, a, like I say, a big, a big job on your hands. And I just wanted to thank you for your time today to speak to no me. No problem payroll. at all. Pleasure. Hi, this is Tracy. I hope you enjoyed that last episode of Talking Payroll. If you've got any comments or questions, please email them to us at podcast at ostpayroll.com.au. And look, if there's anyone that you'd love to hear on this podcast or someone that you think that I just have to interview, and maybe that's even you, uh, please please let us know by emailing podcast at austpayroll.com.au. That's podcast at austpayroll.com.au. I'm really looking forward to having you listen again next time I'm talking payroll.